Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Crosswires. It's James here, and this week we aren't holding back. We are going to be talking about the mess that is the Twitter API and what on earth is going on for third-party app developers. Because, look, I don't know about the rest of you, but my Twitter journey started with a third-party Twitter app because there was no first-party app. In fact, my guest today is partly responsible for that app. Would you all please welcome Gideon Mayhew from my Icon Factory? Hey, thanks for having me. I would ask how you're doing, but I would I would imagine that would evoke all sorts of uh, points <laughs> of frustration right now. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a week, I have to say. Um, I've been a developer now for over 25 years, and I don't think I've ever encountered a week quite like this one, which is uh, saying quite a bit, I think. Absolutely, yeah. So, look, before we get started into what's going on, let, let's get a little bit about, you know, 25 years, a long time. And so, Twitterific has been around since what, since what, 2007? Yeah, yeah, on the Mac in 2007 and on iOS 2008. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, 15, 16 years of, of this app being around and being, you know, when, you know, when I was starting out on Twitter, Twitterific was for the longest time, um, my go-to Twitter app. And, you know, for many years, I, I'll be really honest, uh, I've flipped between yourselves and Tweetbot so many times that my phone's gotten confused. But that says a lot about the quality, you know, <laughs> of both of your apps. I mean, I guess before we get started, I should ask, is there a war, well, was there a war between yourselves and Tapbots, or was that just nice? Let, let's just all play nice. And I, I don't know if, I, I wouldn't call it a war. <laughs> I, I would say it's, it was a friendly competition. You know, obviously, we were both competing for the same customers and um i you know we would update they would update we would go back and forth and people like you and and many others would continually switch you know depending on what features came and the changes that twitter made um that dictated a lot of you know what client people used over the years so i mean it was you know it, it is what it was and it, i mean it kept us both on our toes so i i mean i can't really complain about it at all i think it was good for both of us absolutely so before we get started into what as i said what happened can you tell us a little bit about sort of the journey that led to twitterific because icon factory have done a lot more than just twitterific i was just looking at some of your apps and there's things i've used um so, and gotten so much benefit out of but tell us a little bit about the journey for maybe yourself and, and for icon factory well you know icon factory like i said has been around for since 1996 in some form or another, we started doing uh, icons and iconography as a hobby. Um, the three of us, myself, Talos Choi and Corey Marion. And then over time, we branched out in doing, into doing icons for corporate clients. We did icons for Microsoft. We did icons for Apple. A whole range of, of apps that if you were a Mac user, you probably knew and loved back in the, in the day. And then slowly, you know, we started doing software. We had our lead developer, Craig Hockenberry, who came on to, as a partner in the company. He developed a, a little a, an app icon called uh, Icon, Icon Dropper that allowed you to collect and organize icons on the desktop. And we, we did a whole bunch of utilities like that that allowed that were icon related and then when twitter came along in 2007 it was new and shiny and we loved it but we hated using the website to post to it and craig came up with the idea of creating a desktop a little desktop app for the mac called twitterific 
it took off. There's a South by Southwest conference um, in the, I can't remember if it was in the fall or in the summer of, of 2007. And it was the talk of that South by Southwest. People just downloaded it and loved it. And it exploded after that. And then of course the iPhone came and of course it was like, well, how much better could Twitter be if it was in your pocket? And you could tweet from anywhere you wanted to go. You know, wasn't called tweets back then. They were posts or whatever they were called at the time. And we developed a, a jailbreak version of, because there was no app store initially. There's no way to get apps onto the phone of the, of the app. And people loved it. And then when the app store came around, it was natural to to put it right in there and get going. And Twitterific was one of the first. Um, I don't think it was the very first Twitter app on the iPhone, but it was close. It was there in December of 2008. So um, there's a little bit of a delay there, but it's been there almost since the beginning of the App Store. And we've been through it all, all the changes at Twitter and the API changes and the relationship developers had with Twitter, ups and downs over the years. And it's just been a roller coaster ride until this week. Absolutely. I was going to say, I think the first one I remember using was, again, on that jailbreak on Cydia, was Twinkle. I, I remember yeah. being, and then Twitterific. And Twitterific was my go-to on my desktop. And Because you brought in features. You know, Twitter at the time didn't have retweets. It didn't have. Do you remember we used to have to put RT in front of our actual manual put RT in front of our tweets or QT if we yeah. wanted to do a quote tweet yeah. and replies mentions were something I think third party clients added by detecting the syntax. Yeah. Well, it was, a, it was a heady time. Uh, you know, we worked with Twitter and with other app, uh, app developers to try to standardize some things on, on Twitter. A lot of what's going on in Mastodon right now reminds me a lot of what's happened, happened back then on Twitter. Mm. And, uh, at replies were one, um, lists were another, the things like that. There's whole bunches of features that, you know, people take for granted today that didn't exist back then. And at the t- so, and this kicks us off into where we're, we're heading to. At the time, in this 2007, 2008 point, the Twitter API was there in its entirety. And Twitter had, beyond their web experience, they had no n- apps of their own. As far as I'm aware, there was no, no Twitter native app on any platform. No, there was, there was none. No. And that was one of the reasons why third party apps became so popular because Twitter had no app of their own, only the website. Were they still allow, allowing posting by text at that point as well? I believe so. If I remember correctly, I think there was posting by text. It's been so long. It's really hard to remember the timeline of all of these things. You know, I mean, it, in the digital world, 15 years ago and 10 years ago is ages. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> it really is. And, it, you know, look, I have really fond memory of what Twitter, I think it's, I think those of us who've been on Twitter for so long have a fond memory of what Twitter used to be. And I think you've maybe hit the nail on my head. Mastodon, as it stands right now, it reminds me so much of what Twitter used to be, the, the nice culture, the not, you know, not run by Space Cavern. Look, we're probably going to end up getting our Twitter <laughs> account suspended for this. I, I can, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to predict that our, our Crosswise Twitter account is going by. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> But who cares at this point? I don't care. Well, that's that's one of the things I said to you in the email. I said, hey, you know, before we talk about this, is there anything in the Twitter API that's under NDA that I shouldn't ask you about? I think your response is, no, I don't think so, but I don't care anymore at this point. No. (laughs) 
Yeah, I really don't. You know, it's, 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 it's sad to have to say that, you know, and it, it's, it's disappointing to get to into that kind of a mindset. But after all of this and the way that this was handled by Musk and Twitter, it's just, it, it's probably the last straw. It, it, I'm not saying probably, it is the last straw. And uh, I, all of us at the Icon Factory, we really just don't want to be involved with developing for Twitter any longer. And it's so sad to have to say that. I really, I've had a love affair with Twitter for so long, you know, and it's like the worst breakup you can possibly imagine. And we'll come to that because it, it wasn't on good terms. It, it, it wasn't on the, the way this was. I mean, there's so many parts to this whole puzzle and there's things I want to ask you about. But before we go into the current situation, because what it's important to note, I think, is that this isn't the first time that Twitter have, the last time they did this, but at least I think, and do correct me if I'm wrong, they at least gave you a little bit more notice, maybe gave you a little bit more clarity, but they changed the Twitter API, uh, what, maybe five, it might even be longer, five, six years ago? Yeah. To make it harder for third-party apps. And particularly, my my recollection as a user was particularly around about things like notifications changing. Yeah. They turned off push notifications. They pushed. They turned off live streaming of tweets for third-party apps. They we used to be able to just you know in real time pull in tweets and display them in the API, and then they they deprecated that for third-party apps, and um, that was a real blow. You know, you had to wait like three four minutes in between a refresh before you could grab more tweets. Um, and you couldn't get notified when someone liked your tweet or started following you or, you know, retweeted one of your tweets. And those are, those are really tough things to deal with. And they, they hurt us quite a bit and all third party developers because our customers had grown to, to love and appreciate those features. The difference is back then they let us know that it was coming months in advance and they gave us time to build plans to work around those restrictions and how we were going to handle them in Twitterific and to let our customers know that this was going to happen and this was going to change. And this time around, what's happened is they just flipped the switch and they didn't tell anybody what was going to happen. And, you know, we suspected it back in May when Musk started his talk about buying Twitter, you know, on the side, we're all quietly rooting that he wouldn't get away with it. He wouldn't be able to follow through with it. But the management at Twitter really seemed intent on him buying the company and, you know, in quote unquote, saving Twitter, you know, with this purchase. And uh, that kind of sealed the deal for him, you know. So this time, no warning, no way to build backup plans or communicate with customers. It's just that on the Thursday night, Last week, the app stopped working for everyone that used Twitterific and Tweetbot and all, you know, a bunch, not all, but a bunch of other third party clients. Strangely enough, not all of them, which was even more bizarre. So, that, le- so yeah, let, let's talk about it. So, I think the announcement was made, Twitter confirmed on Thursday what happened, but 
there'd been problems for days before where uh, Tweetbot and Twitterific users were getting authentication errors, and that came from the API. And correct me if I'm wrong, Twitter was silent. You weren't getting any responses. Because I've been following the journey from both, from both yourself and, and with Paul uh, Habad from uh, Tweetbots. No communication, just speculation from everyone in me in the tech community as to what's going on. Yeah, we didn't even know ourselves. Our users informed us that something was wrong. We didn't even hear anything from Twitter or, you know, it's just, I got a tweet from one person who was like, I can't sign into Twitterific. And then Sean Heber, you know, our lead developer on Twitterific went and checked and he couldn't sign in. And it quickly became apparent that what they had done. Um, but no, there was no communication, nothing from Twitter. There wasn't even a tweet. No. From Musk or the Twitter API account, which is unusual. You know, that account usually lets developers know at least what's going on, but there was nothing. And, um, Craig Hockamary, our other, our, you know, our, our lead lead engineer, he sent a, a support request off to Twitter via the, their system there on our developer account saying what's going on, blah, blah, blah. We got back an automated message saying we've received your request and we'll get back to you. And there was nothing after that, not a single thing. And have you, I mean, since that announcement, have you had anything for, has there been any comeback from them officially? No, still no reply to that initial request via the dev ticket. There was nothing in email that we knew of. I mean, it's just absolutely unbelievable in the way that they did it. They, it's not surprising. I'll, I'll add that. It's not surprising considering, you know, how many people he laid off at Twitter and how few de- developers, engineers are left. There's no communications team. There's no evangelists at Twitter anymore. There's no one there to develop these kinds of responses in, in requests, you know, replies to information. So it's not surprising in the least. It's still upsetting. It's still, it still angers me when I think about it. You know, not really so much for us, but for all the people that are our customers. It's totally unfair and it makes us seem irresponsible. You know, I, I hate him for that, really, honestly. No, I, I don't blame you because look, I've, I've worked in customer support and the reality is right now, everyone who's having problems with, with Twitterific doesn't, and who maybe isn't part of our, of the same tech speed that we're part of, you know, or is a developer, or, you know, or, or understands Twitter. They're not angry at Twitter right now. They're angry at Twitterific. They think, I've paid for this app. Why isn't it working? That's, that's part of the problem. You know, I, I will say that our users are some of the most amazing, caring people I've ever encountered and the amount of support and quite frankly, love that we've received over these last few days has really put things in perspective for me personally. It's, I'm, I've been reading email after email from people who are just as upset as we are, but not at us, at him, not even at Twitter, at but him. at, at him, Musk, yeah. at Musk for what he's done to, to third party clients like ours. People who have been on Twitter since the beginning using a third party app and now they cannot. And, when you suddenly can't do that anymore, when you try to go from using a third-party app that shows tweets in chronological order in the way that you want them shown with no ads, no promoted tweets, 
you know, that also syncs your position, your reading position. You can look on your phone, read your tweets, and then move to your iPad or move to your Mac and pick up exactly where you left off. Twitter doesn't do any of that. They never did. (laughs) And so when you go from that to what is currently on the website and what is currently in the official app, it's, it's easy to say, I'm leaving Twitter. I'm done with Twitter. I can't read the things that I want to read. I can't follow the people I want to follow anymore. I've gotten dozens of emails, tweets, and and posts from Mastodon of people saying exactly this. They are done now with Twitter. Kudos, Elon. I mean, you, you, you're driving people away. And you're not only just driving people, you're driving the people who are there at the beginning, the people who are probably active the most, on Twitter, those crucial engagement, people who post stuff that are engaged in Twitter, they are now no longer engaged. They are leaving. Uh, that's not what he wants. No, no. Because didn't he complain that people were pulling their ad spending from Twitter? Well, okay, people can spend money on ads. But if there's no one there to see those ads, what good is ad spending? Because, hey, people don't pay for there's no impressions on their ads. One thing I want to ask exactly. One thing I want to ask your impression. This is my recollection, and I want to ask you directly as someone who's been deeply involved in the third party Twitter app space. I, my impression has been that from that beginning of Twitter, the growth in Twitter was not because of her website. It was because of third party apps like Twitterific, like and there's one app I'm going to mention because it is an important part of this whole story. Lauren Brichter's Tweety. Tweety, yeah, a big part of it. Well, this is why I mentioned it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Twitter bought Tweety. Yeah, they did. They. I'm not going to say that third party apps are responsible for all of the growth of Twitter. That's not even close to true. But at least... In those early days, third-party apps were responsible for a great deal of Twitter's growing popularity. There's no, absolutely no doubt about that. I know because I was there. I was part of it. I watched how many people downloaded and used third-party clients like ours and Tweety and TweetDeck and Echofon and a whole bunch of others, you know. And yes, Tweety was bought by Twitter because they didn't have an app of their own. And they thought, well, we'll just take one of the best ones and then we'll adapt it and use it for our own purposes. And that's what they did. To his credit, I mean, that app was great. Initially, Twitter's quote unquote native app was awesome. You know, I mean, Bridger is responsible for the whole pull to refresh user interface that we all now know and take for granted. He invented that, you know, and, and it was good enough to become the standard for everything else that iOS uses now. And that's just a, a, a standard interface. So, yeah, I mean, again, Twitter third party apps played a big, big role in the expanding growth of Twitter, at least in the early days. Over the the next phase of it, not so much, you know, Twitter took off and added a whole bunch of features on their own and that third-party clients weren't a privy to. So it's a roller coaster. There's, you know. Yeah, because it took for, you know, even to this day, uh, Twitter polls are, were barely supported in third-party apps. You, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you couldn't vote in fair, in polls on a third party, it would have, you'd get taken yeah. to the Twitter website or if you're an iOS and you'd install the native app, the native app. That 
that's horrible. That's a yeah. horrible experience. I mean, look, even, you know, we, so where possible, we, we still promote, well, I, I say we still, I have not made the decision as, as at the time of this recording, I'm very much all for just automating all of our posts into Twitter and not having any direct in, in, in involvement in that anymore. Just putting out bland automated posts <laughs> and having our home on Mastodon for social media. Right. That's how strongly I'm feeling about this. Right. But it, things like if I want so if I want to schedule a tweet, I can't do it through the native Mac app or through the native iOS. I have to go to the website. Yeah, not only that, but it's like if you wanted to reply to a specific person, or if you want to look up a certain person's tweets, or if you want to quote someone out of the blue, or if you want to find one of your own old tweets to quote or reference or whatever, that is all so much harder, Mm. you know, without a third party client to just go on the website and try to do those things. And you'll find it very, very difficult. And I'm with you on, you know, the whole wanting to not really do that much with Twitter. It's, it's a conundrum for us because I mean, all of our products, all of our software products have Twitter accounts and we do the majority of our tech support via Twitter. When people have questions, at least in the past, they would tweet us at those accounts. And I, I'm the one that's in charge of monitoring all of those accounts. So I have, you know, all timelines open with all of these products and I continually monitor them every day via Twitterific you know, so I can keep my place, see who I've replied to, all of these things. I can no longer do that. Now, I could go and download TweetDeck, which happens to be a Twitter-owned, you know, desktop client. I've never used it before. I have to kind of explore that. But I don't really want to <laughs> anymore. Yeah. I, I really just, I'm, you know, I... I we're, we're going to be moving all of our products over to Mastodon. We're going to be moving our main corporate identity over to Mastodon. All of us individually are there already, and we see the growth there. We see that most of the people who we interacted with on Twitter every day have already moved over to Mastodon. So, you know, that was the thing that always kept people kept us holding back from using Mastodon all the time. Your friends and colleagues are not there. So it's, it's like, why should I bother using it? But now I think Mastodon has critical mass and a lot of people are moving over. It's still kind of tough to, to find, you know, to sign up for it and find an instance and, and all of that. But, the pros of it far outweigh the, the cons of it. The fact that it's an open source platform, that it's not controlled by any one entity, that there are redundancies built into the system and a wide array of, of clients for Mastodon. There's so many, I can't even begin to name them all. You know, of course, Tapbots has Ivory that they've been developing and I'm really looking forward to that. Kudos for them, you know, to, to take that leap and push forward the fact that, okay, we're not going to have TweetBot anymore. We're going to develop Ivory and we're going to make go of it. And it's going to be even better than TweetBot ever was. So it takes a lot of courage and to do that kind of thing. And they have it. Absolutely. So it does lead me to a a question. And if, if it's a no comment, that's absolutely fine. Uh, And I can see the look (laughs) in your face. You know what the question I'm going to ask is. Yeah, of course. We have been asked this question dozens and dozens of times. You know, you want to know if we're going to make a Mastodon client. Yeah. And we're going to be posting a blog post about this shortly. But the answer 
in the short term is no. Okay. We have, we're a very small company and we have limited resources, limited people to devote to such a, uh, an application. And we have a prior commitment right now that we have to fulfill. Once that's done, all bets are off the table. And, you know, when that will be summer, spring, summer, around that time, we'll be evaluating it. So the answer to this question may be totally different then than it is right now. Right now, the answer is no, not at the, not at the moment. And that um, makes sense. Would we like to do one? That's a totally different question. <laughs> and I myself would love to do one. I, I, I would love to do one. And I would love to take what we learned with Twitterific and improve upon it for Mastodon. And it's exciting because there are no API restrictions on Mastodon like there were on Twitter. So the freedom to add features and, and design an interface the way you want to be able to do it is there. And as a designer, you know, that's what I do. I'm not a programmer. I'm a designer. As a designer, that's very, very exciting. It gives me a spark that I, I, I would look forward to doing that. You know, I want to be able to do that. We've got to be able to get there in order to do it, you know, and uh, we're not there yet in a bunch of different ways. No. And and I appreciate, I think everyone who has been a fan of Twitterific appreciates it, honestly, because the last, I guess, you know, I speak for myself and my co-host, Jay, the last thing we would want is a rushed Mastodon client from Icon Factory, because that's not what you got, right. you folks are known for. You're known for high quality apps. And it's worth saying, folks. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Go and check out Icon Factory site, because they have so many great apps. One thing I want do want to mention, just to, because obviously, look, let's be really direct. Twitter, if it was a subscription app, mm-hmm. that means that as of this point forward, people who are paying monthly subscriptions are probably going to cancel those scripts. Now, yeah. those who've maybe paid yearly, I think you've asked, to, and you've been very direct about this on the site, ask for people not to request a refund. And I think that's perfectly legitimate. They've paid for a product. It's not your fault yeah. that it's not working. Um, and I, I stand by that. I mean, this should be good. Uh, do you know what I would love to see? I would love to see a class action lawsuit. I hate class action lawsuits in general, but something against yeah. Space Cabin. I I mean, a lot of people have said that, you know, like, why don't you guys just get in a, a lawsuit going or something like that? And it's like, if I had money, if I had all the resources in the world and there was no risk of losing everything, maybe, yeah. but that's not the world that we live in. You know, we're a tiny little company and we can't afford a legal battle with a company like Twitter or Musk or anything like that. And I have no desire to do that, honestly. I would rather wash my hands of him and be done with it and move on to, to something new. You know, that said... Yes, the loss of Twitterific is tough. It, I mean, we had thousands and thousands of subscribers, and some of them were yearly, some of them were monthly. And those people who feel that they are owed for those subscriptions that did not complete can possibly request their refunds, you know, and we're going to be on the hook for them. Yeah. You know, now to their credit, you know, a lot of users on Mastodon and, and in Twitter have said, don't trying to spread the word. Don't request a refund. Don't request a refund. And to those people, I want to say thank you. You know, it, it it's very very scary. To I mean, imagine imagine you had a coffee shop, and when you opened, you sold a couple thousand cups of coffee on that day or or whatever. And then months and months later, all those people decide 
I actually want a refund for that coffee. I, I drank it and I used it for a long time and I got a lot of value of it, out of it. But now I'm going to request a refund. And so they all, not just one or two of them, but all of them come and show up at your door on a single day or in a single week and all ask for a refund all at the same time. That is the potential of what we're looking at. And quite frankly, it's scary. It's, it can be potentially devastating and it could, frankly, put us out of business. You know, will it happen? I don't know. I, I suspect a lot of people won't do that. You know, there are going to be many that do that. And there are going to be many for tap bots that do that. And I, I suspect tap bots is even in a worse situation than we are because their, their client was more popular than ours. They had many more subscribers than we do. I'm, I'm, positive of that. And so for them, who are even a smaller company than us, and they only really have their one app, which is TweetBot. Yeah. You know, we have multiple apps. Thank God for that. You know, if we didn't, uh, it would be very, very bad indeed. They only really have the one app. And so they're looking at something that is potentially business ending, you know, in the refund department. And um, absolutely, I really hope it doesn't come to that. And look, I, I can see, you know, folks, uh, this is one of the reasons we, we do cross wires is to talk about real issues for not only us as tech consumers, but for software creators and developers. You know, Gideon, this is his livelihood. And, you know, I, I can look at, this isn't, this isn't a, a man right now who's obviously having an easy time with this conversation. Please remember that, folks, when you look. When you're looking at apps and you're looking at services, there's human beings behind those services who need to make a living. You know, look, as Gideon said, they have got other apps. And one I was going to mention just to, to give a little, try, you know, try and do our part to boost a little bit of Icon Factory revenue is Wallaroo, a wonderful subscription wallpaper app. Look, I love a good wallpaper and, um, I have, uh, actually tried a couple, a couple of weeks of, um, um, a, a couple, uh, I think two months sub. Uh, to Wallawoo so far. And the only reason I've stopped is because I'm not working myself at the moment. So we're trying to bring in revenue through our streams and through consultancy, but it is a great service. And, you know, there's tools like Xscope and um, Linear Sketch, I believe is your iOS app. And I, I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. So do go and check us. This isn't the end of a conversation, by the way. This is just me trying to get a plug in to, to make sure that people are aware. And if you're listening to the show <laughs> and you are a Twitter referent user, a plea from me and Jay, don't request that refund. Support Gideon and my team. If, if you can afford to do so, and look, we're, you know, we're talking, yeah, you know, we're talking the price of a cup of coffee, folks. If you can afford a Starbucks coffee, you can afford or less or less. Yeah. But absolutely. Yeah. Right. So please, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, I appreciate that. And, and thanks for helping to get the word out about our other apps. It's again, I, I have to say thank you to everyone online who's done that, who's subscribed to Wallaroo or bought Linea or taught or any of our other apps, you know, as a show of support, you know, for what we do. I've had some sleepless nights in the last week and those people have really buoyed me. They've, they've, they've given me hope about, you know, continuing to be able to develop apps. So it's no small thing that, you know, some people think that apps grow on trees and that they just like, 
Lord of the Rings. They spring out of holes in the ground and like a like a dwarf, you know, and then they're just there, you know. That's not how it works. It, you know, they take a lot of time and effort, especially to develop and design good ones. You know, there are a dime a dozen apps on the App Store that, you know, they're not worth the the bits they're made from. But apps there are a lot of good apps and they take time and effort and love to, to craft code and design, you know? And so I think a lot of people who use Twitterific realize that they really are supportive and they've always appreciated what we've done. We did our best to make the app accessible um, for, for hard of seeing and blind folks. And I've gotten so many emails of love from those people saying, I can't use Twitter anymore because there it's no longer accessible to me, you know, and that just breaks my heart. That really hurts. You know, that, that those people don't have access to the kinds of social interactions that they always had because they were using an app like ours and now they can't. And that's another reason why I'm so mad at Musk. <laughs> you know, he didn't, not, he didn't consider any of that when he did his, his discontinuing the third party apps. He got rid of the entire accessibility team at Twitter. So they, they don't even care about accessibility anymore over there. And that's just indefensible. How, how do you even do that with a conscience? You know, I, I, I don't get that at all. No. I'm I'm with you. As someone who is visually impaired, accessibility. Look, even if it's just little things like in Twitterific, be able to bump up the font size just for that little bit, and having clear iconography. Look, you know, obviously iconography and design um, is something Icon Factory are passionate for, and it's you know I love the icon work you've done in the past. And it's, I'm not just saying this because you're on my show. It's beautiful. I, I am, you know, I'm a designer myself for, but in a different, I don't do app design. I do sort of like more, well, people see my, obviously our logo, uh, the stream overlays. I, I was up until 6 a.m. this morning with my co-host, Jay, who's over in Ohio. And we were redesigning all of, um, all of our, uh, retro night Twitch overlays. Cause we tried the first set out last night. And we we're like, these are good but we're not quite happy with him. And it is a passion. I mean, right. You, I don't know about yourself, but I finesse over those times. Oh, that shadow's not quite right there. Or that color's not quite right. <laughs> oh, you have no idea. You have no idea. That's been my life for the last 25 years. I obsess over every little detail, you know, way more than, than I should. But we wouldn't be where we are today if I've, if we hadn't done that or don't care about those things. The devil is in the detail. It matters. It really does matter. I, it's like all this discussion these days about uh, artificially intent, in, you know, AI artwork and things like that. You know, sure, crank it out. It doesn't matter. You know, whatever. I don't care. You know, people, a lot of people don't care, but I care. I care that that person has six fingers instead of five. You know, it's it's just <laughs> that the shadows are all wrong and, you know, they, they maybe have like a bit of a third eyeball or, you know, sure, it'll get better over time. And they, just a bit, just a bit of a problem, eh? you know, but, you know, but for people like us that, that, you know, obsess over those details, it's like, oh, my God, that's so awful. <laughs> you know, how can anybody think that that's passable? I spent 15 minutes last night just getting the little screws in a classic cassette tape to look just right. 
And no one's going to see those details because right. they're so small on the stream. But it's what I felt good about. I've been watching AI compositions of someone taking classic game controls, erasing bits of them, and then asking an AI to fill them in. The results are, are scary. But moving back to Twitter, <laughs> yes, it's scary. It's just wrong. Like yeah. Xbox, it's a whole another conversation. Yeah. I'm sure. But moving back to this mess of the Twitter API, I think one of the things I, I wanted to talk about a little bit, and we probably go into the realm of speculation a little bit here, and definitely. So I said to Gideon before the show, Gideon says, "How, how, you know, like." How, um, what was the word? How honest and direct can I be at this point? Mike, as, uh, as much as you want. So if you hear Twitter, no sound notifications, it's not your phone. It's because I've had to bleep bits of Gideon's language because of how passionate this conversation is. I'm, I've been good. You have. I haven't said, you know, <laughs> oh, you've been great. Look, again, it's an emotive subject. I'm, yeah. I, I, look. The only reason I bleep stuff out is because we want to have a clean tag. I personally don't really have a problem with swearing. It never offends me, but I want our right. content to be accessible to everyone. So I'll try and keep a clean tag um, as much as we can. It's, it's a challenge, but it, it's, you know, anyway, this is where we probably enter the realm of speculation and no hard, holds barred here. I want to talk a bit about why Twitter have done this because, you know, I listened this week to, and I'm a big fan of their content, ATP, Accidental Tech Podcast. I mean, you know, very long episodes, I will say. I, I don't think we've quite broken their re- episode record yet. Um, <laughs> gosh, I love I love those guys. I mean, you know, and these aren't just free podcasters. These are, you know, these are Marco Arment, the guy behind Overcast. Casey Liss, right. um, the guy behind all sorts of stuff, uh, particularly... Um, recently for Mark, for me, uh, Masquerade, and of course, John Syracuse, who we now measure hats by his head size. I love Syracuse, yeah, and Marco. And these, uh, I'm going to make an assumption, these are guys that you've worked with and met and spent time with over your career. So so I guess the first question is, if you, if we try, and it's very difficult to do this, if we try and put ourselves into Musk's shoes, which I don't think I'd want to do, but hypothetically, what harm were third-party apps actually doing to Twitter? I don't think, I mean, this is speculation. Obviously, there's, there, there's no way for us to know. We're not privy to what the conversations were at Twitter on Wednesday, last Wednesday or last Thursday. I personally feel this is all just what I think, but I think that he's in a desperate end plea for every single eyeball that he can possibly muster to get onto Twitter. He is at a point where he knows he's losing. He knows his debt is there. He's amassing quite a a bill that's going to come due very, very soon. And he's looking for every little possible way to glean as many eyeballs out of the service as possible. Are there a lot of users of, of third-party apps who use Twitter? In the grand scheme of Twitter users, no. It's probably a tiny fraction of users. It might not even be 1% or 2% even less than 1% of people that use Twitter use third-party apps, all combined. That's not just us. That's all of them combined. But like I said, I, I'm willing to bet that those people are more engaged in Twitter than the average Twitter user. They post more. They read more. They're, they interact. They, they are responsible for the good, the, a lot of the good content on Twitter. And by allowing third-party apps like ours and Tweetbot and Ecofon and others to exist – he doesn't get a piece of that. They don't, they aren't served promoted tweets. They aren't, they aren't 
privy to the algorithm. We, we, we have no algorithm. Twitter never built any of that into the API. They didn't bother with it because we were always slow, you know, small peanuts. They never gave us an API to display promoted tweets in our timelines. Did we ask for it? No, of course not, because we consider them ads and spam, you know, and our users appreciated that. But they also never offered it. If they had offered it, would we have done it? If it made a change in what happened yesterday, maybe. But that never was an on an option that was on the table. I mean, let me let me ask you this di- a direct question, man, because that's a really good point. If Twitter had built that interview API and said promoted tweets and ads are available in the API, and we will give you so because there's a few things here. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did twi- Twitter did not charge you as a developer for API access? It depends on the tier of your access. There's a whole. You know, there's a whole series of levels there for access. And if you were an enterprise client and you had, you know, certain number of users and interactions, then you have to pay, you know, but they also grandfathered in a lot of the originating third party apps like ours so that we didn't have to pay, you know, and that obviously if you're a bean counter at Twitter, yes, that is going to be one of the boxes that they checked tick and say, these guys aren't paying for access for, for Twitter. Why should we give it to them for free? You know, their users are uploading content there. It costs us money to, to keep the API up and running. It takes bodies, engineers to support the API. All of these things go into boxes that Musk looked at and probably said, nope, they're, they're going, it's going away. Like, I'm not going to do this anymore, you know, which again is fine. That's his prerogative. That's Twitter's prerogative. That is up to them. If they had in the past come to us and said, if you want to stay on Twitter, you need to display promoted tweets in the timeline, then we probably would have done it. (laughs) There'd been no choice to do it, you know, but they never did that. Not only that, they didn't even ask us if there was anything that we could be doing to help them. Musk never con- reached out and said, what, you know, how can we help you work with each other to, to remain on the service? He never did that. That, that is really my question is, you know, this is not a case of, you know, I, I'm obviously only speaking to yourself here, but the impression I get from all of the third party devs is it's not that you would have had a problem if Twitter said, look, to continue using our API, if you're going to have to pay for it, or, you know, it could have been we said, well, if you display promoted tweets in our ads, you, you get free access. Or you pay for a API feed that doesn't have those so your users continue. And I can, you know, that would have been, but again, there's been no discussion. That's kind of a, a, the biggest thing that bothers me here is if you if you as Twitter are going to affect a, um, a third-party app that I use to access your service, you need to have that communication with them ahead of time to, you know, to say, look, this is what we're planning. Like they did last time, they made those changes. Were they good changes? No. Were they communicated a hell of a lot better than these changes? I mean, look, a point that Marco and Casey made is even when Apple screws you over for app rejections, at least they tell you about it. <laughs> yeah. And they don't, they don't usually just pull your app from the store. They do it when you submit a, an update or for review. And so it doesn't get through review and posted to the app store. So no one on the other side, on the client side, sees that rejection. They don't care that they don't even know that your app isn't, hasn't been allowed because it's still in review and it's still behind the scenes. You know, this is, this was publicly facing stuff 
people, thousands of people were using every single day, and all of a sudden it got turned off without warning. And that's that's a big thing for me. And then the next question comes. We, we think about why we did this. One now, I'm going to put this to you as one theory I had, and it doesn't hold. It doesn't necessarily hold true based on your our discussion earlier. Let's take our friends over at Tapbots as an example. Let's say that you'd kept your API access and they hadn't. That could have led credence to my theory at first that this was twi- that Musk taking revenge on the likes of Tapbox, uh, Tapbots. And um, I forgot, uh, there's a chat, um, he's, hang on, what's the name of it? Mammoth. I've forgotten his um, Twitter app. Uh, I do apologize. To, uh, there's um, another Mastodon, de- Mastodon developer who had a, um, Avery was a Twitter. Avery. Yeah. 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 Well, they've, they've got a Mastodon client. And I'm thinking, could it have been Musk saying, well, anyone who's developing a Mastodon client similar to a Twitter client is losing their Twitter API? Because, you, of course, you remember that stupid thing a couple of weeks ago. Or was it? Yeah, exactly. Well, they started, he started like, like you couldn't even mention Mastodon on Twitter without getting your account locked. Yeah, that was stupid. You know, I'm, um, man, for Mr free speech absolutist to even go there that was absurd absolutely ludicrous you know and everyone saw that and would it be beyond him to to take revenge on you know the aviary guys or whatever for for doing no i don't put anything past him quite frankly any longer we were we were joking that the reason why they they turned off third party access on fleet on Thursday night was because the next day was Friday the 13th and I could totally see him doing it just to be funny. You know, that's how bad it is with him. How petty we laugh, how but childish it, yeah, childish. Become. He has, he's, yeah, it's really interesting because as well as this show, obviously I'm more speaking to, uh, to Gideon here, but as well as this show, I, uh, we have, you know, two podcasts. We have this show, Crosswise, which is our tech discussions. But we also have Charging Status, which is um, a UK and Europe-focused EV news, monthly EV news show, which I've run with Alex Lowe from the interface. And we have had, behind the scenes, had discussions. Well, do we do we continue to promote Tesla? Do we t- continue to discuss Tesla news on the show? And it actually sparked a discussion in our Discord. By the way, um, before we go much further, this is absolutely, um, you know, if maybe you're a developer yourself or maybe you're a Twitter, long-term Twitter user, come and have a discussion. Crosswise.net forward slash Discord. There will be an episode thread uh, for for this episode. Uh, come and tell us what you think and rant about Musk. Uh, or as, um, you know, a lot of people call him, I think we're going to, I'm going to call him from now on Space Cavern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> space, space Cavern is just, uh, so, okay, I think, would it be fair to say that we can, I mean, it might, we know I might put it past him, but the fact that other apps have been banned, but again, it's this whole, I mean, you know, is it maybe that these other apps are too small to have gotten noticed? Because I can imagine in the store of API keys, and I'll ask you a little bit about this, in the store of API keys, they've probably got hundreds of thousands of API keys that relate to different apps. Because I take it you don't just have one API key, it is multiple keys to spread the load or yeah, I mean, yeah, the Twitterific is one of those, you know, one of the first apps and they, I can't remember what year they insti- instituted the user token um, limit for third parties, you know, every new app or every existing third party app got a, a pool of user tokens that were allowed 
for to be given out by those third-party apps to their users. And once that limit, once that pool of tokens was reached, then you couldn't have any more new users in your app on Twitter. And that's one of the reasons why we never developed an Android client or another version of Twitterific for Windows or anything else, because we would have had to have a limit of 100,000 users for those new apps. And that's just not feasible for costs. You know, you, if you only are, have a, a, a ceiling of 100,000 people, why develop for it? You know, so Twitterific's pool of tokens was huge. It was a lot, you know, between the iOS and the Mac one it was in fact it was so much that we did the calculations and we figured we would never run out of those user tokens because they gave us so many because we were grandfathered in other 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 third party clients didn't have that you know they were newer and they came on the scene and they had a very small pool of of user tokens and so their potential for bringing people to twitter is smaller than tapbots and twitterific you know, these, these two apps of ours had the potential to bring a lot of, of people to Twitter. And so I think that was one factor that was, you know, used to decide who was active and who wasn't. Why was it that Twitterfic for iOS was turned off, but not Twitterfic for Mac? I have no idea. That made no sense at all, except that, you know, of course, our number of Mac users in total is only a fraction of that of iOS. No doubt it had to do something to do with that. And, you know, but now at this point it's moot because they turned off API access for Twitter for Mac OS as well. And for a whole lot of other clients. Yeah, I know Tabbots tried to change their keys to get things up and running. I think they got up and running for a very short time and it was gone again. But even while it was, even while they did that key, they changed, they still were, there was an API limit that they could not pass. And so the entire pool of, of Tapbot users couldn't all post at once or their API limit was reached. So that, but that's not why Paul did it. Paul, Paul did it to prove a point, which was that this whole turning off of third party apps was deliberate, not a bug. And, you know, he proved that. Because if it was if it was an outage or a bug, you would expect you know uh, some sort of announcement. Hey, we've got a problem with the API. We're working on it. Please hold tight. And then companies like yourselves could have posted messaging out because, and maybe this this comes into a little bit of a a a different point. Is API access in general? Now there was one, and I want to make sure I get the phrasing of of this right because something that some people said is well. Twitter said we are reinforcing long-standing API rules. And um, now the phrase I'm going to get the phrasing on this one. So paraphrasing, one of those rules was to not recreate the core Twitter experience. What what do you take that to mean? Because I yeah. I again I'm going to guess there's an element of grandfathering, but what, what how does that play into things at, at this point? I mean, technically it may be correct, but before Musk got there the people who are in charge of Twitter, especially the development of third-party relations with us, made it absolutely clear that it was fine. It, you know, it may not be the letter of the, of the guidelines or whatever, but it was okay. And, you know, obviously they didn't ban any third-party clients for trying to do that, you know, so there was no stated, like, you can't do that. There was a period in Twitter's history when they really frowned on that. They really didn't want developers to try to replicate that core experience for Twitter. Did they tolerate it? Yes. 
Did they encourage it? No. Then a couple years ago, when they released the 2.0 API, they did reversal. They, you know, they came back and they said, you know, we really want to support you guys. We want you to be able to, you know, pull down as many tweets as you want. We want you to be able to search the API. We want you to be able to, you know, have notifications again and all of these things. So their, their stance was completely reversed until Musk came along. And then out of the blue, Twitter API account tweets this thing like, you know, certain third-party clients will not work because they've violated longstanding rules. That's That was in my – that was BS. And we all knew it was BS. You know, I mean, someone tweeted like, yes, a rule – a longstanding rule that was just added five minutes ago because that's really what it was. And then they, they went behind the scenes and updated their terms of service over the weekend, you know, so that – there is actually a rule in there that says you can't replicate the core experience. They changed that documentation after the fact to, to have an excuse to ban third party apps. It, it's yeah, it is BS. It is absolute BS. I mean, look, the fact is, you know, this is all done without any discussion with yourselves, with any of your third party clients. And, you know, effectively what they're doing is they're throwing out an accusation to all these third party clients saying you've broken our rules, but we're not going to name who we're not going to say what we're just going to say, Oh, all third party apps are evil, evil, evil. Yeah. Scary. Like, like, no. Spooky. Spooky. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, come on. I mean, look, you know, I, as I said, obviously they're trying to put the blame on us and, you know, not, not the, yeah. them. I mean, and everyone, anyone with half a brain was, was a wonderful line from one of my favorite, favorite TV shows, uh, Yes Minister, where they're talking about whether or not the minister had the capability to understand, uh, you know, a, a, an, an argument to do something. And one says, well, Surely anybody with the uh, inte- in- intelligent, what, what, the intellectual caliber of Winnie Pooh, Winnie the Pooh can understand our argument. And someone says, well, does your minister have the intellectual, cal- intellectual caliber of Winnie the Pooh? Yeah. I'm like, oh, wait, no, it's, right. it's no, maybe not. Uh, so, <laughs> gosh, sorry. I don't know if you can speak to this, but maybe. When we talk about APIs in general, the reason a company develops an API is because they want others to be able to interact with it. You know, like, okay, not all APIs are created equal. I mean, you gave a great example, and it's something we talked about with James Smith, who um, James is a Mastodon instance admin, and he helped us explore with Hediverse in an episode, we'll link that episode below. It's one of the things we brought up is, yeah, the, the API is unrestricted because, yeah, there's an official Mastodon app, but... That uses exactly the same API that Ivory is using, that Mammoth is using, that Tootle's using, that everyone else is using, and it is fully featured. Are the features missing? Yes, but that's because those features are missing in Mastodon. Yeah. It, like, for example, quote tweets is a great one to mention. They aren't a feature. Yeah, it, quote tweets. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of discussion about that lately. So yeah, and I can understand. That. I don't. I don't know which side. I. I I've seen the harm that quote tweets can do on Twitter. At the same time, they are a very handy way to say, I, so for example, if you were, if I was boosting this episode off my personal account, uh, or you were, for example, you would probably quote um, on yeah. Twitter, you quote tweet and say, Hey, I was recently on this, this podcast. It was such a good, I hope you're going to say this, such a good time to chat. And yeah. that would be a quote tweet. But you don't have you don't have a, a way to indicate why you've boosted something on Mastodon, and that okay that yeah. that works. But coming back to other APIs, 
is this unique to Twitter or do companies do this often where they pull features out of the APIs without any notice? Oh, it's not unique to Twitter. I mean, a lot of people have asked us, why don't you guys make an Instagram viewer or a Facebook viewer, you know? And the answer to that is, of course, because there's no API for it. Instagram used to, used to be able to develop for Instagram and then no, no longer. I, I don't know when they yanked theirs, but it probably was around the time that Meta bought them and, you know, they decided that they wanted to be the only ones to deal with that feed of information. So no, it's not unique in the least for Twitter. Twitter wants the best of both worlds. They want to be able to have developers create things for Twitter that like a bot that goes through and tells you who has unfollowed you, you know, or, you know, those helpful like apps that don't actually post to Twitter, but do things like collect your stats or follow your followers and, you know, all of those things, those things that are like, yeah, whatever. Those are the things they want to encourage, not the, the, the apps that could potentially take promoted tweets away from the timeline, um, people away from the timeline, that kind of thing. So there's, like I said, they, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to be able to have an API, but only give it to the people that they think are creating the things that will help boost their their eyeballs and their engagements and things like that. That's a really good point because a lot of you know a lot of the Twitter API uses, but I think Twitter are looking for are things like you you mentioned earlier support. But you have it makes sense you're going to use your own app, of course. But one of the things people uh, you know like things like Help Scout or Zendesk and other CRM tools will do, yeah, Zendesk, bring yeah. in will act as a way to interface your tweets into your support of, uh, support tools so that you can do that. And that's what, you know, that's the sort of thing Twitter are wanting. They're wanting because that, at the end of the day, that doesn't, in, that means more people interacting on Twitter for customer service, you know, and it's why you see the big, you know. So, for example, I've had, there have been times where I've genuinely, like, so LNER, uh, train company, are a great example of this. I've had generally had better, uh, better support experience on Twitter than trying to call them. Yes, absolutely. Me too. I've had that too. And that was one of the things I love about Twitter is like, okay, if something's not going right, I could tweet something and probably someone from that company or corporate brand is going to reply to me and, you know, at least acknowledge me and maybe give me steps on how to, you know, fix the situation. You could pretty much count on that. I think in in the height of Twitter that that would, you know, People cared about that. The, the brands, the corporations cared about that. And they had entire, you know, fleets of people who that's all their job was, was to monitor Twitter and reply to people's concerns online. Um, is that still the case? I doubt it. There's a lot of companies that don't care about Twitter anymore because of the return of the hate speech and, and all of these other things. That they don't want to be associated with it. And that's another reason why Musk did what he did because things are going down the tubes and he's trying desperately to cling to what's left it, it's like it's like holding on to a crumbling empire and it, it is sad my twitter account is now a private i do all my social interaction on mastodon you know you spoke about um instagram uh, me and jay uh very 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 little do we have i have no meta beyond whatsapp and that's a Real point of frustration, but I have to have WhatsApp. I try, I have no other meta products, but I do have Pixel Fed for sharing photos because I love, I, you know, um, I'm a huge, 
iPhone photography fan, iPhone 13. You know, I'm out on the, on the beach, you know, taking sunset photos with a 13 and posting most to pixel fed. So, and they have an API. Some wonderful stuff. I'm really excited where Mastodon is heading. I, I mean, Jay have, me too. Yeah. Me and Jay have not yet made a decision on what we're doing with a Crosswise account, but. I'm going to be really honest with you all. You'll notice it's no longer in our site banner. It's no longer in our outro for the episodes because I don't want to drive traffic there. Mastodon is, uh, I was, I, I signed up for Mastodon back in 2018, you know, and I really, I posted a couple times over the years, over the years, you know, and, you know, for there. And there were a couple times along the way when Twitter did some stupid stuff and it really seemed like, Okay, maybe this is it. Maybe now people will start using Mastodon. Maybe now people will start using Mastodon. But it never did that. It never became that until Musk bought Twitter. Back in April, May, people started jumping ship. (laughs) Like literally, you know, they were clinging to those deck chairs on the Titanic. And then they were just like, nope, I'm going in the water, you know. And that's, that's what they did. And now it seems like, I mean, those people are really over there at Macedon, and it seems it's really refreshing. And you probably picked up on it too, but it really reminds me of what Twitter was like when Twitter first started. It's a lot of people tweeting their own interests, things that excite them, things, what their day is like, what they're doing, the things they're seeing, you know. Their, their creativity, their writing, all of that stuff is, is what people are posting on Mastodon. There are no promoted tweets. There are no advertisings. There's no algorithm. So you're seeing what you, what you see. There's no verified profiles. Yeah. No verified, no one has a blue check. I mean, you have blue checks in your profile, you know, but it's not the same. You're not paying for it or, or anything like that. So it really feels new. And fresh and reminds me a lot of what Twitter used to be. And I love that because I loved early Twitter. It was, I really, I, I likened it to being in college and back in college, I would just go and hang out in the, the lounge in my dorm for hours at a time. And I would have friends come and go all day long. We would talk a little bit and they would go or, you know, whatever. And we would talk about something that happened and then we would say our goodbye and we'd see each other again. I liken that a lot to what Twitter was like in the early days. And this is what Mastodon is reminding me of now. Will it change? Undoubtedly. Will spammers come along and try to muck it up? Most certainly. But there's a lot more control there for, for people who, you know, the Fediverse has all these servers and the people that run these servers have control over what is shown and what is shared and all of that. They can kick people out. They can kick whole instances of people out. So it's different. Well, I, I remember, you know, when we were talking to James, I, I had no idea that truth, uh, that, and I hate saying his name, but the orange idiot, truth.social was um, a Mastodon instance. I think still is a Mastodon instance. Yes. He stuck the code for them. Yep. Stole the code for, for Mastodon for that. Never gave him any credit. Went against the terms of service. Did it anyway. But the point is, because it's technically on the Fediverse, and, and you know, there probably are instances that you'll want to block. Um, now, you know, and look, a uh, great example of, you know, companies engaging on social media. A really good example is because anyone can spin up an instance. Look, look at uh, Paul and his team over at Tapbox. They've spun up a tapbox.social instance to say, this is us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look, if we had the budget at Crosswires, 
we would be doing the same. We'd have it. We'd buy crosswires.social. Can I just say one quick thing? I hate domain uh, squatters. Someone tried to sell us to, uh, crosswires.com for $9,000. Right. I'm right there with you. But now, thank God, there are a whole lot more domains that ex- exist. So squatting is less valuable than this it used is true. to be. Well, this is why yeah. we're .net, not just a .com or .co.uk. I like the idea of a .net domain. I don't, I've always liked .net as a TLD, but we can get all sorts, you know. Right. And it's so, you know, it's someone who's trying, you know, running uh, a business, you know, offering tech consulting, offering email services, it does make it a lot easier to get people a really cool domain for their business. Anyway, I think... You know, I, I'm trying to think, is there any, is there anything, well, let me ask you, is there anything else you wanted to highlight about this whole mess? Is there anything else you wanted to, um, have a chance to vent about while, while you're here? Or do you think we've said everything that needs to be said? I mean, <laughs> we could be here all day. I <laughs> uh, appreciate that. I mean, it's all been said. We, you know, we're at this point, I, f- I can see people are like, you know, it's a done deal. It's, there's no going back. People have asked me like, what if he gave you your API access back? You know, would you take it and stuff? Would you, would you turn Twitterific back on? No, not at this point. I, no, we're done. I, we don't consider Twitter trustworthy at all anymore. I, I wouldn't want to work with them. I wouldn't care to support them anymore. I'm having a really hard time, like, going on Twitter and just posting on my account, my personal account anymore. I don't see what the point is anymore. So no, there's no going back. You know, even if he were to leave Twitter or be kicked out of running the company, I'm not sure we would go back. It's going to take a long time for Twitter to regain the kind of respect and trust that he has destroyed with it, with developers over the last couple months but especially in this last week um good luck trying to find outside people working with for twitter if you ever wanted it again uh, i mean forget it so <clears throat> that would be a little rant i would have <laughs> i i mean it, it's it's sad to say that and i wish i didn't have to say it but it's the truth and um i also i just would once again like to have an opportunity to express our thanks to all of our users for all the support that they have sent us over the last week. It really has kept me going and kept me from just turning into a little fetal ball on the floor <laughs> from all of this. It, it's tough. And because of those supportive emails, tweets and posts and everything else that people have done and subscribing to our apps and signing up for our Patreon and all of these things is really makes you know and, and let you know how much that people, how many good people are out there and they really do care and they want you to succeed. And the, the people are not all bad. You know, the, the, a lot of great people out there that are rooting for each other and they want to see other people succeed, which is, it's really uplifting. It's it really a good thing. And I really want to highlight that because if there's anything good to come out of all of this, it's that it's it's that those there are people that are willing to step up and help you in your time of need no matter what your situation is if it's you're you're having trouble with your health or you know a relationship or your business or whatever you can probably find people that are willing to help you whether they're friends of yours or not it means everything 
It's, it really is everything. Absolutely. And it's worth saying, of course, you know, I want to sh- shout out another time where just because Mastodon is so much more friendly, you know, and I think it's, so I contacted originally, I'll be real, I, I reached out to Sean and said, hey, Sean, you know, do you want to come on the show? And Sean said, well, um, hey, don't reach out to Gideon. He, he'd be potentially up for doing it. I messaged you on Mastodon. He said, hey, reach out to me on email because email's always better for trying to send scheduling links. And what, we had the conversation yesterday and here we are doing this today. Mm-hmm. This is going out on, so as we speak, this is Saturday. This is going straight into post-production. This is coming out on Monday because this is such an important and timely episode. It's one of the things I love about our show is that because we are not necessarily always news focused, because we are more on a wider tech topic, when there is breaking news, I can just move your episode schedule around. That's great. Yeah. Let me know when it comes out because I'll, I'll, Post it far and wide on Mastodon and probably on Twitter. <laughs> well, we'll so. still be. I, I think yeah. we will still post this on Twitter. I need to have a sit down with with Jay and decide what we're going to do. Look, folks, being really honest, it might be that on Twitter you just get a episode name and a link going forward because we'll automate it. If that's the case, that's. I'm sorry, that's how we feel. We we're fed up with Twitter, Jay. You know, most of you will know Jay is a trans woman. She's had so much abuse on Twitter. Uh, and as a partner, I can't. I can't stand that. It's horrible. That's awful. It's just another another thing, and another reason why Twitter is doomed. I think ultimately, no one, you know, who wants to be a part of that. It's awful. I hate that. So, Gideon, thank you so much for your time. Work if people want to find out more about the Icon Factory or follow you on on Mastodon. Where can people find you, and where can people find the, the Icon Factory? The Icon Factory is, you know, on the web at iconfactory.com. All of our applications, our software are at apps.iconfactory.com. Um, and you can get to any one of our apps, whether they're buried on the app store or from us or on Apple Arcade, um, from there. I myself, um, on, and I'm on Mastodon, I'm on I'm Gideon, G-E-D-E-O-N-M at mastodon.social. Um, and, um, we're going to have, uh, icon factories, uh, a main icon factory Mastodon, uh, account soon. We're working on that. And we're going to also have our products over on Mastodon too. That doesn't exist quite yet, but we're getting there. You can follow us on the blog, which is blog.iconfactory.com. That's where we've been posting about all this stuff that's been happening with Twitter. And, and just out of interest, is what's Icon Factory? Are you going to set up your own instance or are you going to be on other instances? Is that kind of where the not quite yet is up? No, we have, we're setting up our own instance. Yeah. We're, we're going to have our own instance for our, our products and our corporate accounts and stuff. If we ever did do a Mastodon client, maybe it would be part of that. Um, that's too way too early to say. So I, I don't know. But at least there'll be an option there. Well, that's what Mammoth have done. Mammoth has launched their own instance. And, you know, you can sign up to their instance. Or you can, of course, use any one of your own. Because, look, so I'm on mastodon.me.uk. Uh, Jay's on hackyderm.io. Um, and Crosswires is on masthead.social. We might move out of charging status is on cross, uh, crosstalk.tech's, um, instance. You're Chris Sherwood from Crosstalk Solutions instance. And it's great, but, but of course, Mastodon means that we can all follow each other. That's one of the things people have that fear. Oh, I won't be able to follow people on other servers. That's absolute rubbish. It's so easy to do, especially with a good, well-made client like Ivory. Get, uh, hang on, why am I promoting? Oh, yeah, because you're not doing one. There we go. At least we can promote Ivory from Tadpots. 
<laughs> but do go and check out all the Icon Factories app, apps. And of course, you can, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. Yeah. Gideon, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we I might have to get you back on one day to talk um, app design and um, the intricacies of icons. That could be a really fun discussion. That'd be great. I'd love to do that. Yeah, I'm always up for talking about iconography and uh, all of the, the design of user interfaces and apps and all of that is my passion. So that would be fun. That might well be in our next panel discussion because I've got a few. I've got a few people who uh, might well be up for that. I, um, so just a little bit behind the scenes, we're working actively to get Stu Cambridge back on the show. Stu, you for those of you who don't know who Stu is, Stu was one of the graphics designers at Sensible Software back in the eighties and nineties, uh, and we had it. He was actually our very first guest on the show, responsible for great designing games like cannon fodder and sensible soccer and just such a top bloke so we are hoping to have people um have Stu back on and it might well form a panel anyway thank you everyone for listening i'll roll the outro thanks for listening to this episode of cross wires we hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts so please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net you can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user why not start a discussion there too you can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at masthead.social. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. If you'd like to check out more of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live our upcoming streams. If you like what we've heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires. That is ko-fi.com slash crosswires. Until next time, thanks for listening.